Hello there, my name's Scott, and you are listening to this brand new podcast, Game Podular Unfocus. Uh, my name is Scott Jenkins. I was originally on the uh, Power of X podcast, and with me, uh, with me today is uh, Hilka. How are you today, Hilka? I'm great. It's a beautiful day outside. It was less beautiful than it is yes than it was yesterday, but uh, hey, it's spring here at least, and uh, things are getting warmer and the sun is getting brighter. Can't complain. That's that's good. That's good. So yeah, basically. It's um it's becoming um it's it's autumn over here and um getting close to obviously getting close to winter, um but I'm sort of I am thankful now that we don't don't have the scorching heat here in Australia. Oh yeah, I've I've experienced some forty degree weather over there. It is not pleasant, um because if it's if you're not in the heat, you're in the um, aircon, which is basically um using up all your power. Yeah, and it's very dry. Yes, yes, very dry. Um, but no, this is um. Thank you for jo- joining us. Uh, yeah, so this is a new podcast that we're trying in. We're basically going to basically putting everything that we can in uh, what we've been playing uh, throughout the month. Um, so um, Hilka, you've got some games you've been playing. I've got some stuff that I've been playing. Um, thank you so much for joining me, and let's go ahead and get started. Let's. Okay, so the first thing I'd like to dis- discuss is an actual hardware review, uh, if you can believe it. So, uh, about in the February, February, I was mulling it, o- mulling it over. Um, there was um, because of the Steam Deck, a uh, very popular portable PC that's um, you know was released in I believe twenty twenty two. Yeah, that's when I got mine. Oh wow! Okay, so you've got one as well. Fantastic. I signed up for like the the pre-order thing and I got mine in March of last year, I think. Wow, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, cuz it's not officially um released in Australia here. Um I had to actually get it from a reseller. Um a company, yeah, a company called Kogan. So they actually had to go in and I believe it was the one from the US because when I actually got it, it came with the American um, power supply. Oh, yeah. But they actually, yeah, but they actually put in a, um, actually put in a Australian stock, Australian 45 watt uh, power supply with it, uh, which was neat. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work too well. I'll get into that a bit later on. Um. So yeah, just a brief rundown of the um, the Steam Deck hardware. If you not know, it says yeah, it's a uh, sort of a Linux operating system um, computer. Uh, it's got an AMD Zen two four core CPU, AMD RNA DNA two GPU, uh, sixteen gigabytes of RAM. Uh, it comes in sixty four, two hundred fifty six, and five hundred twelve gig storage. I originally I bought the two hundred fifty six gig version. Uh, originally, uh, the idea was that I was going to be able—I bought it so that maybe be able to dual boot into Windows in the future when they sort of release that functionality. But actually, I have another reason now why it's probably good to get the um, get the two fifty six or five twelve rather than um, sixty four gigabyte gigabyte model. Um, but I'll get into that a bit later on. Um, yeah, for the hardware itself—it's a standard um, modern 
like Xbox PlayStation controls. Uh, it's got mo- it also has motion four back buttons and two touchpads. Uh, on the Steam on the software front, um, Steam OS front end uh, runs Arch Linux. Uh, this allows the Steam Deck to go into the desktop mode, basic interface, sort of like Windows. A uh, little bit more involved. It's sort of different ways you have to go ahead and install programs if you're in the desktop mode. But if you're just primarily using it in the Steam desktop, in the Steam OS mode, uh, you don't really have to fit around much with that. Uh, the way it gets the Windows games operated is through a compat- Proton compatibility letter layer to run the Windows games. Uh, it's a fork of the Wine compatibility layer, so it's not actually emulation. It just translates Windows APIs, I believe, to Linux ones from my very basic understanding. Your understanding is way better than mine. I just know that it works and I'm glad that it does. <laughs> Nice. Uh, thoughts on the hardware? Uh, I feel it's a little little bit on the heavy side, uh, not uncomfortable, but it did take does take in getting used to. Uh, I had to make sure when I'm actually using it, when I first used it, not to rest my middle fingers on the back sort of like back groove under the triggers, because uh, if, if I did that, it was cause discomfort for the first few weeks. I I noticed that too, like. I, I also own a Nintendo Switch, like the original one, not even the one with the better uh, battery. And the Switch is lighter, but it's less ergonomic. I like that the Steam Deck does is designed more to be held by hands, if you know what I mean. Like, there's more heft to the sides of it, which means you're holding onto it more rather than just, like, a flat board than the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, like, like the Switch is just it's flat. Uh, it's more portable. Um, the Steam Deck, it's just it's got those curves, and it's just it's a more easy grip to get get a hold of. Uh, I feel, uh, and with the button placement itself, I feel it's easy to get into. Um, sticks are beside the D pad and the face buttons. Uh, they're not over or under or like the um, Xbox Switch or PlayStation, uh, especially with the Switch with the actual Joy Cons themselves. They're not directly under, which is so annoying. <laughs> I, I've got the. Um, with the switch, I've actually got the Hori uh, Joy-Con like compact ones, and they're more of a. Uh, it's a. It's a. Far, I feel it's like a far better design. It's sort of like um, that styles the Xbox one. But I really, I don't like the. Um, like it's serviceable with the Joy Cons, but yeah. I use my Switch primarily in docked mode. To be honest, I find the portable experience to be uh, lacking, and I also have a Pro controller, which makes it way more comfortable to use (laughs) oh wow but the steam deck itself you use that primarily in portable mode or still um docked oh yeah portable 100 for the steam deck i don't actually have a dock for it yet uh though i i will confess uh i i haven't used my steam deck quite as much as i thought i would it's primarily been a vampire survivors machine for me uh, I have played a couple other games on it, but yeah, Vampire Survivors is kind of the big one, which is not really making the best use of the Steam Deck's admittedly quite impressive hardware for uh, the size and the fact that it is portable. Yeah, it, it it is, and I'm sort of I'm sort of in that similar boat. Like I've only had it for about two months, so I've sort of like tried to run basically like in that sort of honeymoon phase where it's sort of like trying to run everything through it. 
Um, but at the moment now, it's just like, um, yeah, like I've, uh, yeah, running as many games as I can, but I feel like once I, because I've been playing the Mass Effect games, which I will get into, I'll get into later on, but I feel like once I've done that, that it might go in the back, but I mean, in two weeks' time, Tears of, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is going to come out, and so that's what I'm going to be mostly honed in on. Yeah. Trackpads are fine. Um, they, um, they're serviceable. Uh, for me, a little bit awkward to get into, um, but it's sort of, it, they're good in there just for games that sort of, you need that precision of a mouse. Um, um, screen itself, uh, 800p. I feel like it's a good screen. Uh, yeah. Not the greatest. Like it's nowhere near as good as like the Switch OLED. Uh but yeah, I feel, it's not like you know, it's a fine screen or it's a service, but I actually do like to screen. I think it's I think it's a good quality. Um, what do you what do you think about the screen? Uh, I I got the 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 biggest version, which does have a different screen. Uh, it has a special like anti glare layer, if memory serves, uh, and that's one of the reasons I went for the biggest, to be honest, uh, because I take a lot of public transport here. And you end up like if you're sitting in a train, you're generally sitting close to a window. And so the anti-glare protection is really important for me. I, I do quite like the screen, although I will say uh, I do occasionally struggle with reading text in games that are definitely not designed to be played on a smaller screen. Like I played a little bit of Elden Ring on my Steam Deck just to test out how it would work. And... I really struggled reading like the names of things in my inventory because that game assumes you have a way bigger monitor than the yeah. Steam Deck has a screen. Yeah, I'm 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 experiencing the same similar thing with um Mass Effect on Drone, but I like I'm usually I'm usually pretty good with like smaller screens, uh smaller tech text, but like some of them I, I I doubt it's even optimized for it seems like it's not even optimized for like an eight hundred P screen. Like it's just some of the text is just like really the anti-aliasing is just off. Yeah, and like for me, like screen size is generally not like one of the games I'm going to be talking about is on the Nintendo 3DS. Like that screen is tiny compared to the Steam Decks, but because it's more purposefully designed for it, it is a lot more legible. No, definitely. Uh, I will say the speakers itself. I love the speakers. Uh, they're loud, good separation of audio. Definitely better than the ones on the Switch, even the OLED one, which supposedly had the better speakers. I agree. Yeah, it's it. A thing you can re- really run into with portable systems like that is that they have very tinny speakers. Like, there's not a lot of oomph to them, a lot of bass. But these, yeah, they sound great. I'm a big fan. Yeah, they're they're big and full. Like, I was just surprised. I was like, wow, I can really notice, you know, where everything is. Um, the, the fan itself. Um, if you're ramping, if you're ramping it up, if you're running everything at a higher settings, it can get really loud and really hot. Um, like it's not like burning, like you're not going to burn yourself. But if you just put your fan, your hand over over the fan, uh, you can definitely feel the heat. Yeah, I, uh, I. It's not an experience dissimilar to playing a game on a laptop that you shouldn't be playing on that laptop. I with docking itself, I've actually set it up so I can dock. I can dock it. I've actually got a um, 
I originally had a Satechi USB hub um, that I use for my iPad when I need to dock it. Um, so I've just used that as the dock for the TV on my system. But I've also got a, um, it's awesome. I've also got a USB-C uh, 4K monitor. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm, yeah, so I'm able to just, it's just one plug. I'm able to put it in and I've got it set up where the keyboard and wireless keyboard and mouse up, like it, there's a USB hub that's hooked up to the, actually hooked up to the monitor. And it's just one cable, charges it, puts the video output. And then if I need to do like a keyboard and mouse game, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, software on the software side, um, SteamOS, I feel is pretty easy to use. Uh, haven't tested the Steam chat or voice. Uh, don't really um, use those one within Steam. Uh, I'm not really, I'm not really much of a PC gamer. Like primarily, it's more like uh, Nintendo or Xbox or PlayStation. Um, but I just, I just want to get a Steam dresser because I, I do have all these PC games. I feel like if I had a, like a portable system, it's sort of like more incentivized me more to um, play them. That's one of the reasons I got mine as well. Like the ability to play games that are either not available on Switch or just I already own them on PC. Uh, it like the, the 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 fact the way the Steam Deck is designed does limit your options a little bit. A, not all games are actually going to work on it. And B, if you do need if you do absolutely need a mouse for something like a real time strategy game, which I know not a lot of those coming out nowadays, but uh, some of us still like them, uh, then uh, you're going to need an actual PC for it. But for things like shooters and like action RPGs and stuff, it's it's great. Maybe don't play like competitive shooters on it because you do need the precision of a mouse for that. But if you're playing like Borderlands or something, it's fine. It's going to do you really well. Exactly. I mean, um, when I um, when I ran the games, like I'll go through the games I sort of ran a first, did a first game I ran on it, um, Doom Eternal. Um, I'm a big Doom fan. Um, and yeah, Doom Eternal is one of my most favorite games. So um, this is one I just had to had to go ahead and play start to finish. Um, nice, cause I, yeah, because I've got I've got it on. I originally bought it on Steam for my PC, and then I bought it on Switch, so I've got both ends of the <laughs> spectrum. Um, and then also through Game Pass, I've also got it on Xbox as well. And apparently, it's also I've got the PlayStation Plus, like Xbox Game Pass thing. It's apparently released on that, so that's. Another one that I got it on. So, out of curiosity, did you like play and finish it on Switch as well? Yes. So, how would you compare the experience then? If you're like, because the Switch and the Steam Deck are like, the comparison there is obvious. You know, it's it's a thing you can dock. It's a thing you can use portably. What what are like the advantages and disadvantages of playing it on either system? Okay, so for me, originally I got it on Switch because there was no Steam Deck, and I did, I did want to play it portably. I had that curiosity because I had bought all the previous ID ID games um, on the Switch, so Doom, both Wolfenstein's, um, and I did want to get it on Switch. But like, effectively, like I've uninstalled it off my Switch because it's just for that type of game for 
because the Switch itself, it runs only runs at 30 frames per second. Uh, for many games, the 30 F- FPS is fine. Like if you're playing something like, say, like, um, like say Mass Effect, yeah, because I'm playing that on 30 FPS on Steam Deck. Uh, but for something, if I, because the Steam Deck itself can play Doom Eternal really well at 60 FPS, it makes no sense to play it on Switch anymore. Okay. Because, yeah, Doom Eternal, I, I confess I haven't played it. I did play the the 2016, like the the first one of those. And by what little I know about Doom Eternal, you really need to have the Twitch reflexes that and running it in 60 FPS will really help you with that. Uh, but it's sort of, it's one of those things, it's, you can take, you, actually you take what you can get. I feel like so. Like I, I did it. I did it on um, PC first. I beat it through that. Um, it annihilated made me annihilated me the first time because it is a difficult game to wrap your head around. Um, you know how it operates in that Twitch, that Twitch um gameplay. Once I got used to that, once you understand the mechanics and how to basically get kill any of the monsters, uh, it then gets easier. I'm able to play it on Ultra Violence on the Switch. Uh, nice. It's not the yeah, it's not the most difficult difficulty, but it's sort of like on the higher end. Like it's obviously higher than normal. Uh, but I was able to do it. I understand that when you, when you understand the mechanics, like even though it was 30 FPS, uh, I was able to get through it. And I mean, I played that multiple, actually played it multiple times. I think more than on this on the PC. Funnily enough. Um, but yeah, it's just, I'm just a huge fan of it because like I didn't really have to buy it again because I got it on this I had it on my Steam library. I was able to um I was able to play it. So it was good. Um next game I tried was Command and Conquer Remastered. So that one is yep, yeah, uh real-time strategy. So yeah, you definitely need a map with mouse with that. And it's a bit difficult to try and play it, even with the Steam with the touchpad. a uh, little bit difficult trying to play that. Uh but uh, I was able to play it um, on my. I just able to hook it up on my 4K monitor, and I've never. I don't actually, because my 4K monitor is the one I use for work. Uh, I don't actually have my gaming computer on it, because my gaming computer has a 1080p 120 hertz screen. So we actually play Command and Conquer on 4K was pretty neat, and it actually actually able to run it really well. Uh, it is like obviously a 2D game, but it's still it's still amazing to do. Uh, and then the next game I played, uh, put in was uh, some older games, so Wolfenstein 3D and Heretic. Uh, nice. These, yep, uh, these ones you they'll use DOSBox when you're doing it through Steam. But if you, you're able to put in a thing called um, like a compatibility letter called Luxo Luxtorpedia, and this allows it this will install um, source ports onto the system, so you can actually it'll. Like rather than run it through like the DOS box, it'll run it through the source board. And so yeah, I was like, Wolfenstein was able to get it running through mods. Uh, also with Heretic, I think Heretic uses GZ Doom. Um, so yeah, I didn't have to like run it through DOS box. I could run it through Heretic, Heretic through like GZ Doom, which was good. Um, and then the next game I did was um, Mega Man and Base. So this is the one um, I ran that through like obviously emulation. Uh, putting in e- EMU station. Um, so you see, you set that, you can set that up through the desktop mode. Uh, it's not generally within the Steam OS itself. Uh, but I, I was able to run that fine. Um, 
I would say if you, you are using a desktop mode, it's not advisable to use it on the Steam Deck itself in handheld mode. Uh, you'll need to like use it with a keyboard and mouse and with a monitor. Okay. I, I have looked into emulation on the Steam Deck. There's, you know, the the conversation that happened when the 3DS and Wii U eShops shut down that there are some mm. things that are now very hard to find. Uh, exact, exactly. And emulation is a great thing for that. Uh, but the things I looked up with regards to emulation on Steam Deck is you generally don't want to go later than like GameCube and PS2, I think, because A, the emulators just aren't really that good for stuff like Xbox 360. And also like, because correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're running an emulator through the desktop mode on the Steam Deck, you're functionally running, like you're already committing a lot of the memory of the Steam Deck to just running all the background things and then you haven't even started up the game yet i'd imagine so yes i don't know the specifics of it but i'd imagine with that sort of with that sort of emulation if you go on like gamecube your ps2 or higher uh like well, definitely like definitely xbox 360 and ps3 like ps3 itself is like emulation itself is a nightmare uh like it's impressive what they can do with the steam deck um but from what i understand is like ps3 is like it's only like a handful of games that are playable um and even like um i haven't done ps2 yet uh I've, i have got a dreamcast game marvel versus capcom 2 uh i've ever run that pretty fine um uh, but gamecube games um there's sort of a um like it's it looks like it's running well but there's sort of either there's a stutter throughout the game that sort of like just pops up every so often or you put it put VSync on and have input lag, and uh, so I haven't. And so I haven't actually got any. Um, I haven't really done any GameCube on it. Just sort of like, it's sort of like I don't. It's sort of not optimized for the Steam Deck. Um, like apparently, it's, like it's going to come out on the on the Steam Store itself, Dolphin. Oh wow! Running, yeah, apparently. Oh, well, they say they're going to release it. Let's see how if that actually happens. With the Nintendo, that way Nintendo is, um, but oh, excuse me, yeah, uh, it just it doesn't really. Like it's, it, it looks like it runs fine, but just some occasional starts that really throw it off. Um, and then the last sort of games I sort of did, I tried um, two games, uh, three games: um, Batman Arkham City and Tomb Raider. I actually they they were on my Epic gaming account. And you can actually install Epic Games on your Steam Deck. You have to actually uh, install it through a sort of a program in the desktop mode uh, called Heroic Launcher. This basically connects up to the Epic Game Store and access like a launcher. But you can you can you can install it on there, and you can set up in the desktop mode of Steam Deck to basically say, okay, uh, run this as like a non-Steam game. So basically, you don't even have to go to desktop mode anymore. You can just go into um go into the desktop, basically into the SteamOS normal mode and run it through there. So it's still even run games through uh, other stores. And also sort of the same thing. Yeah, it's also the same thing. Um, I also did Terraform via uh, itch.io. Uh, oh, I wasn't nice. able Yeah. So I like I have a whole bunch of games through there. Unfortunately, it's, um, you're not, uh, I wasn't able to get it through this, like a itch.io launcher. 
you can install in desktop mode to run it through there, but it didn't seem to work. But luckily with itch.io, you can actually just go to the website, manually download the game and just put it on and just set it up in the desktop mode. And then you can run it through normal Steam OS mode. And then the last game I did was um, an old DOS game, Terminator Future Shock. Uh, don't know if you heard of that one. No. no DOS this is, uh, is uh, before my time. Oh, okay. Oh, this is fun. This is um, Terminator Future Shock is um, the early game, early ge- one of the early games from Bethesda. Oh, was this the? Is this the the side scroller? No, this is uh, like this no? is the first. No, this is this is the first person shooter. Um, like very early on, like full three D graphics, like Quake, but like before Quake. Wow. And very, very, very janky. It was, I I put it on and set it up. Because it's like it's my it was actually our very first um, my family's very first like proper PC game. So I want to see like as a test itself if I could if I could set up like the DOSBox emulator and set it up with the actual Steam Deck controls with the customization. And I was able to get it all up and running. So yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, um, just with that, uh, you can also do plugins with the Steam Deck. Um, Best ones I've got, uh, I feel like I've got the one, uh, Proton DB Padges. So this is basically sh- when you go into a store and sort of look up a game, you can actually look in to see, because uh, like you, as you said before, um, you have games today that are either verified, support, like playable or unsupported, or basically like unverified. Uh, this gives you a better idea of like what you can do if you need certain tweaks that you need to get get a game. It may send out like it's up maybe um, like unplayable, but it's really only you just got to do a couple, switch a couple of options and then it's working. So this oh, one, nice. yeah. So it just allows you to go in and say, okay, this is actually what you got to do um, because like, there's a whole Proton DB database on there. So it just links up to that. Uh, second plugin, uh, controller tools. This actually just shows if you got a docked, uh, you got like an Xbox or PlayStation controller, it shows like the battery percentage on that. And the last one I got is um, Storage Cleaner. And what this does, because I found this out, um, like for my, for the games themselves, I can install them on the, I've got, I've got like a one terabyte micro SD card for the Steam Deck. I actually pilfered it from my Switch and put it on the Steam Deck. Um, so the games will run on there, install on there, but for the shader cache and the compatibility layer files, they're actually installed to the internal um, internal SSD. And so I looked at it as I'm already using 70 gigabytes of the 227.4 uh, gigabytes on the SSD. Wow. Yeah. So at least with this... Um, this plugin actually shows you and actually allows you to sort of uninstall a shader cache and like the compatibility files. Like if you're running, if you built, like if you install the game through Steam, Steam itself will actually uninstall those when you uninstall the game. So if it's it's like a verified game, you do it through Steam, it's not an issue. It's only for those games where like through the Epic Game Store or itch.io where because they're not a non-Steam Deck game, it doesn't actually uninstall the game. It only like gets rid of it through the actual um it deletes the link and so you have to manually go ahead and delete it 
and then it won't automatically delete the shader cache and that. So you have to actually um, do that yourself. So this actually shows you, okay, okay, it actually allows you to uninstall it through the Steam Deck. Um, so it's just, it's just a bit helpful. Um, just got a couple of, a um, little bit of, a couple of ne negatives. Um, no easy way to share um, screenshots, uh, especially video, because screenshots, um, I'm not able to do it through, like, say, Twitter or Facebook. Uh, you can't you can upload the screenshot through the Steam page. Like, it'll actually upload it on your Steam profile. Then you can manually download it through your phone and then push it through. Um, but uh, it can't actually... The Steam Deck officially itself can't do record video. I've got a Decky plug-in that can actually record video. Um, but it actually puts it into an actual separate folder in the Steam Deck that I can't access until I get into the desktop mode. So it's a little bit annoying uh, to do that. Um, uh, sleep mode itself, uh, not most of the time it's reliable, but I've just noticed a couple of games uh, like Mass Effect Andromeda. I've, uh, if I put down a sleep mode for quite a while and then turn it back on, I can access the menu and like like access the menu through the controller. That's fine, but I can't actually control the character again until I actually either ex exit the game entirely or I think even access the main menu and then go back into it, which is annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. And just um. Probably the last thing. Just it's still not officially out in Australia, so like I can't um. Warranty wise, like I have to go through like the Kogan company that I originally bought it from. Um, I haven't I haven't had any issues with it yet, so knock wood. Um, but it's just be, it'd be nice once I actually officially releasing in Australia, and I'll be able to get like the Steam Deck official dock. Because uh, I got to, I can plug it into the TV, but it'd be but I feel like probably be better just to try and get through the dock itself through Steam. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's um that's sort of my thoughts on Steam Deck. Um, if you're able to, if you're in Australia, if you're able to get one, um, I wouldn't say it's not for me. Like, I wouldn't say it's a like people say, oh, you know, the Steam Deck is it's basically I'm not gonna play my Switch anymore. For me itself, like I play Nintendo games, so obviously it was never gonna replace a Switch. But unless I've got a game that um that I've got like um. Like say like um like Doom Eternal, Wolfenstein, or so like the shooter like high frame rate like which is preferable. Um, like if I got like an indie game, I probably still probably buy through Switch. Like I know that's probably like the silliest thing to do, just of what what Nintendo's going to do with their next system is the Switch game. Like I imagine the Switch games would be compatible. These games would be compatible with it, but just like in, down the road, what they're going to do. Uh, but I just like, sort of like it's probably just far, a little bit easier just to get it on the Switch itself. But the Switch is more portable, right? And the the the, the types of games that you'd be buying—I I don't want to assume too much—but the types of games that you'd be buying would be really well suited to being portable. And the Steam Deck is a lot of things, but uh, compact is not one of them. Like if you're putting it in a backpack to take with you on a trip, it's going to take a lot of take up a lot of room in that backpack. Exactly, exactly. I um, I struggle about. I tried to take it on the train one time, um, uh, but it's sort of like it's very close, and it's sort of like um, yeah, it's, it's, I struggle a bit with that. 
And especially if you have the official carrying case as well, like it it has to be very solid to protect the Steam Deck against like other things in your backpack. But boy, that takes up a lot of space because it doesn't, you know, squish down to accommodate more space. It's primarily purpose is protection. And I mean, like with the with the, some of the games, as I said, Doom Eternal. Uh, like I got that on Switch because there was no other portable option. Um, but yeah, I would um like something like Skyrim. Like I got the Skyrim, well now updated to anniversary edition, because that runs well. Like, you know, I know it's only thirty frames per second, but because it runs well on that thirty frames per second on the Switch, I don't really feel a need to get it on the Steam Deck. I haven't bought it. I've only got the original version on Steam. So I haven't got the anniversary edition and I sort of like, I don't like, that's a game I'll get back into, but I don't feel like I really need to buy it again on Steam. Unless you're really into mods, mm. which for Skyrim is uh, not outside the realm of possibility. Exactly. Like, exactly. Base Skyrim is pretty good, but boy, there's a lot of mods for it that make it really good. Yes. <laughs> I haven't actually get I haven't really gotten too much in the um the mod scene with um with Skyrim. Maybe I'll check that out actually. Yeah. But yeah, that's sort of my thoughts on the Steam Deck. It's a it's a really interesting system and I'm glad that there's competitors coming out for it in the near future as well. Like I I do like my Steam Deck and I probably won't replace it unless it actually becomes unfixably broken, but more competition in that market space is really good and that might fragment the user base a little bit but if it's all running on the same operating system then not that much probably yeah i mean that's that uh there's that um asus rog one that's um gonna come out yeah that one that's gonna be interesting one how they go about that um yeah, they can get it like in the like in the sort of like the same price point as the Steam Deck. So you've been um you've actually been playing some Monster Hunter Rise. Um, how's that going for you? Boy, have I ever been playing it. Uh it's yeah, I there are few games that I have played in my life that I have spent more time on than Monster Hunter Rise. Uh I think about a month and a half ago, my playtime was was at about 400 hours. Uh, and they just released the last major content update for it uh, very recently. I think last week or maybe even earlier this week uh, at time of recording. But uh, yeah, it's a just a phenomenal game. And it's really the kind of... Like, I'm not that good at a lot of video games, but Monster Hunter is one that I've really bit my teeth into and become pretty good at it. Uh, and the the advantage that Rise has over the previous installment world is that they really focus more on including more gameplay options and speeding up the experience a little bit. Because a, a major complaint that a lot of people have about Monster Hunter, and it's valid you know i i've played some of the earlier ones and it was definitely a problem uh is that's very slow and you can mitigate that with picking a different weapon like 
if you're going to play greatsword, then you should absolutely expect it to be extremely slow. But if you want it to be faster, you can play Insect Glaive or Dual Blades or uh, Sword and Shield, Switch Axe to some extent. But yeah, the last content update for it came out. There's going to be one more, I think, in June. That's just a little bonus thing. But this had a, an actual story mission in it. It has functionally the final boss of the story in Amatsu. Um, and that's sort of what I wanted to talk about today. Because the Amatsu fight is wild uh monster hunter i don't know how familiar are you with how it works as a system so i understand i've um like monster hunter rise is my favorite um monster hunter game it's the only one i've ever beaten uh i was able to beat it on the switch uh i haven't bought any of the dlc D dlc for it i've got to probably get back into it but i was able to um complete the the multiplayer like get the true ending of the original of the multiplayer yeah the hub um, quest. yeah the hub sorry yes the hub quest so i've uh, i've always wanted to try and to get into monster hunter like i had i started with three ultimate because uh, i got that with um uh, 3ds uh with the circle yeah. power circle original the circle power pro attachment and then there was a free offer with the um with the uh, Wii U, where it's like you could get a free game and Monsanto was one of them. And it's like, okay, this one I don't have. I'll see. Maybe it's better on the actual Wii U. Uh, and then I tried to do it on Monster Hunter 4. And then um, I got certain, like up to certain points, but I just found it like, yeah, a little bit slow, a little bit hard to get into. And so I also try and do the first Switch one, which uh, Monster Hunter's uh, Ultimate, I think. The I Generations. Oh, sorry. One? Yeah. Yes. The gen yes. Yeah, sorry. Yes. The Generations. Um, I tried to do it because it's Switch new system. Try to see maybe this will fix it up. Oh, on my end, uh, couldn't really get into it. Really into it. Um, I did try play a bit of um, World. Uh, I do feel like it would definitely improve, easier to get into, um, but still wasn't able to get into it. But I feel like, yeah, Rise, I feel that was the one I was really able to seek in my into, into and actually beat it. I beat an actual Monster Hunter game. Yeah, Rise. Uh, World is sort of a great jumping off point if you're looking to get into it because it has a lot of quality of life improvements as I'm sure you experienced in older Monster Hunter titles, uh, the whetstone was a consumable item. Uh, and in previous Monster Hunter titles, you couldn't move while you were drinking a potion. Like, that's a relatively recent addition to the franchise, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, World is great, but Rise with the addition of the wire bugs really... Uh, moved the combat a little closer to something you would see in like a devil may cry you know it adds a lot more mobility options it offers a lot of speed and it offers a lot of different strategies you can use to approach monster fights uh i would recommend getting the sunbreak dlc it's like it is a DLC. it is dlc but it's basically just another full game like, and it's priced accordingly, keep that in mind, but you get so much more. There's a new system called 
switch skill swap, where you can uh, switch out your skill loadouts during a quest. And there are certain mechanics that they added, certain skills that make you benefit from switching. Like, I have one skill in my loadout where you perform a switch skill swap and it gets rid of uh, any blights that you're affected by. So if you're affected by fire blight, water blight, ice blight, and stuff, not anymore. You're done. Uh, which is great for the Amatsu fight, because Amatsu can do water blight, thunder blight, and it can also use wind, like Kushala Daura does. Uh, and my favorite part of it is that you're familiar with the great wire bugs, right? The, the large insects that you latch onto and you fly across the map. Yeah, in the arena where you fight Amatsu, there's two or maybe even three great wire bugs that you have to use because one of Amatsu's attacks covers literally the entire area. Um, and you have to use the great wire bugs and shoot up high, really, really high up into the sky to dodge that attack because there is no other way of dodging that. You might be able to block it. I, I don't use... I play Switch Axe primarily, so I can't block things. Uh, but I, I've played I played a long time with someone who was on Gunlance and was very fond of blocking things. But yeah, uh, man, Amatsu, it's spectacular. And I like that because the Sunbreak DLC focuses it primarily on a new area. Uh, like it's a whole new kingdom. You get a new hub zone. Uh, but the Amatsu expansion... It brings it back to Kimura, and it makes that village relevant again, because there's aspects of the story in Rise that never really got followed up on in the base game, and this sort of rounds off a bunch of those. Uh, but yeah, Sunbreak is it's so much fun. The new monsters they added, Malzano... Garangolm, Lunagaron, uh, which, fun fact, are all based on, like, monsters from, like, classical literature. Uh, like, Lunagaron is based on the werewolf, Garangolm is Frankenstein's monster, and Malzano is Count Dracula. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's a vampire dragon that infects you with blood blight, which means oh. you slowly lose health over time and your healing items are less effective. But if you attack monsters, you get health back. So oh. it basically turns the game into Bloodborne. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, Malzano is so cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Amatsu fight in particular, there's so much going on. The first time you do it is exhilarating. Because there's also uh, weapon installations in the area. There's cannons and there's um, ballista you can use to like trap Amatsu temporarily and get some hits in. It's it it is flying around like Ibushi and Narwa were. Uh, it's quite similar in its design that way, but it it offers some really cool different things from Ibushi and Narwa. Oh. It's 
some of the most fun I've had in Monster Hunter in a while. Because Monster Hunter is always fun. Like, it, especially in Rise, uh, it is very hard to be bored when you're playing Monster Hunter. But Amatsu is is a step above. It's There's so much going on, and you have to think on your feet so much that you get sort of an adrenaline rush uh, from it. It's it's just a spectacular fight. I, I really recommend Sunbreak. It's great fun. I will... I'm very. I'm actually very keen on that. Uh, I'm going. I'm going to check it out. Are you playing Monster Hunter Rise on Switch? I am. Yes. I uh, I pre-ordered the collector's edition. I have the Magna Malo amiibo, the only amiibo that I own. <laughs> uh, well, I'll be honest. And, uh, uh, with amiibo wise, I've actually um, yeah, I've actually got every one of them. I really wanted the Malzano amiibo, but you couldn't get them in Europe. Oh no! So... Oops. Uh... <laughs> I think they were America only. I did find a couple in Australia, actually, but seeing as I do not live there, shipping would have been prohibitive, prohibitively expensive. Oh no! Because yeah, we um, because I think with the Monster Hunter ones. They only did it through the My Nintendo store. So you had to order it online to get them and get it shipped out yeah. to you. The 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 Magnum Allo one did come with like the collector's edition, but there's also a Palico Palamute ones that give you like layered armor and stuff. And you can use the amiibo to scan you can scan the amiibo to get a free um pull at the lottery every day to get bonus items but the malzano one i just i love the way they look monster hunter monster designs are consistently excellent and just like having it on my shelf and i do use it as the amiibo as well but it's just gorgeous but yeah monster hunter it's a game that it's not for everybody, but I'm of the opinion that it's for more people than they think. Like, it is a game you do have to get good at, but once you do, sky's the limit. Like, there's so many ways you can approach playing it, and so many different strategies, even within individual weapons. Like, if you're playing Gunlance, you can focus a lot on doing a lot of damage by putting points into, like, artillery and stuff. But you can also play very defensively by focusing on your blocking abilities. And the switch skills in Rise that didn't exist in World, like they offer additional mobility options, they offer additional offensive options, and they do some really interesting, cool things. Like there's a, it's basically a Shoryuken from Street Fighter that the uh, Sword and Shield does. Uh, that, as I discovered from watching a YouTube video, uh, the beginning of that counts as a block. So if you put skill points into offensive guard, which is a skill that if you block, your next attack deals more damage, you actually get a serious damage boost to an already powerful move. There's little details like that, little things you can experiment with that makes Monster Hunter so incredibly rewarding and why I've spent over 400 hours playing Rise. <laughs> No, I think I um I think my playtime was about 140 40 hours. So not quite up there with you, but I did spend quite a considerable time on it. I just love 
the online aspect. It was just easy enough to get into a game of ra- a, a game with random people and just be able to just go in, just be able to defeat a monster. Um, sort of like everyone's just sort of working together. That's a gr- that's one of the best things about Monster Hunter is working together. Yeah. Like you can play it solo. And in fact, the Sunbreak expansion offers additional things you can do to play solo. Like there, you can have NPCs join you on quests if you're doing them alone and they have their own weapons and armor skills and stuff that can help you out. Uh, but yeah, playing online, especially playing with people you know and being able to like communicate as you're hunting is... I mean, it's a similar experience to how I imagine like doing raids in Destiny is. I don't play Destiny, but I know people who do. And the minute-to-minute, like like the split-second decisions you have to make um, to adjust your strategy as you're playing, it's it's just so incredibly rewarding because Monster Hunter is really a game series that rewards you, the player, at getting better. Like... Some aspect of it is that the numbers, like, you're doing more damage because you have better gear. But even with the exact same gear, you will get better and better doing the same hunt over and over. Because you'll learn monster patterns, you'll learn their attacks, you'll see openings to attack them where you didn't see them before. Uh, It's just an incredibly rewarding game to play and rise... I, I do have my criticisms of Rise. Uh, the wall running is very cool, but it made it feel less like a world and more like a video game level, you know? It was less immersive than World was, but in terms of gameplay, Rise is unbeatable. Fantastic, yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm actually going to go ahead and try and try and work, um, get into, um, try and get in Monster Hunter Rise again and then yeah, looking at a DLC and get that. Alrighty, uh, next game I want to discuss discuss uh, is the Max Effect games. Um, so after I got my Steam Deck, I thought, okay, uh, I really want to really want to get a Mass Effect again. So I had a look in Steam. Um, I was able to get it on sale, uh, both the trilogy, the Legendary Edition, and Andromeda. Um, I originally got this the Mass Effect. I actually got this day one um, on the original Xbox 360 uh, before Bioware were bought out by EA. Um, I remember that the, um, with the later games, however, I do remember that the, um, I do remember that I bought, I bought them used. I think maybe I was a little bit strapped for cash. And so I didn't get those days at once. Have you, um, are you into the Mass Effect games? Uh, it, Mass Effect is sort of a big blind spot for me. I did play a lot of Mass Effect 2, but I never... Well, I, I did play a bit of the first... I did buy the Legendary Edition when it was on sale. Uh, I played a bit of Mass Effect 1, and then I... I don't know what I was doing at the time, but I did stop playing it eventually. But yeah, Mass Effect is something I'm really not very familiar with. Like I said, I did play a lot of 2, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it was it's been a long while for me since I played... Um... I played any, any of the Mass Effect games. Like, uh, I actually got an. I, got, I was annoyed at myself because um, 
like they had the had the Mass Effect games because I did it on the Xbox, and like they had on game like EA like EA with the Xbox Game Pass you can play EA games through it as well. They had the Mass Effect games, and I remember um, I had I didn't I for some reason I didn't put my Xbox save into the cloud. So I was annoyed I didn't back up. Um, I made a very, <laughs> I made a very cursed, messed up, flat faced person that I want to see. I want to show everyone. Um, but, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I got this. Um, yeah, I got this uh, on Steam. Uh, I understand now why people <laughs> hate uh, the PC games that EA does. Uh, it actually won't boot up the game even on Steam Deck if you are offline. Uh, you need. You need to actually you need to be online for it to boot, which is just incredible. Like it's not something like okay, you, you just lose some online functionality. No, it will not boot, and it's just it's very frustrating. Uh, also, it doesn't use Steam Cloud saves, which is annoying because uh, I installed this also the PC as well just to see what it what it, I did it mostly through the Steam Deck. I also want to see um, what it looked on PC because it's like. But PC is a better spec than the Steam Deck. Um, but I was panicking when I didn't. I put like about a few hours into Mass Effect Three, and put it on my computer. And it wasn't showing my most recent save. Um, it was only showing like a few a fair hours beforehand. I think, oh no, oh no. So I just went. I was able. I was able to sort of get out of Mass Effect and go back into it. And it was actually um, the save was there. It just took a while to upload. Um, but once I did, I tried it on the PC. And then panic again because it wasn't on um it was the save wasn't showing up on Steam Deck. Once I got that in, it was like, okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stop um just only do it on Steam Deck at the moment. Just with any EA games. Because like with any other Steam game, like Half-Life or something, you're you're fine. But yeah. Man, that's such a bad cloud systems uh cloud save system. You'd think it was designed by Nintendo. Oh, I, I tell you what, honestly, like Nintendo's is better. Like uh, Nintendo's not the is is not the best, uh, but at least you're not panicking. Like it'll get, at least Nintendo will get, flat out say, okay, we've got an older save on the cloud. We've got a save in the cloud here, one on the system. Um, these don't match up. Which one do you want to do? Yeah, like I, I'm being facetious. Like I've I've done cloud saves from Switch and PC with Hades. Ah, uh, okay. That was a little finicky to set up, but now that it is set up, it works perfectly. But yeah, Nintendo, not the best history with online things. But man, this this sounds like a mess. Oh, it's, it, it, I, I was I was freaking out because I, I spent like a few hours into it. I didn't want to have to redo that. But it's just okay. Well, I've now got it sorted only on Steam Deck. So uh, with the Mass Effect games, uh, obviously, obviously just one to three. Um Mass Effect 1. Uh, this is the favorite, my favorite out of the trilogy. Um, with trilogy, uh, I just, um, with that, with the first, I originally did the, because you got um, certain classes you can do, like um, like like a commander, which is basically like all guns, uh, engineer, which is all tech, uh, and then a bi- biotic, which is the Mass Effect um, sort of magic system. And then you got and then you got ones that sort of like in between. Um, the one I went with um, was Vanguard. Um, this is the one where basically you use biotic abilities and sort of 
like the commander with the assault training. So you get a little bit less with the um, assault training and the biotics, but you're not like you know just only one of them. Uh, I always have like with the, with the assault training, I was able to level up my uh, pistol and shotgun, so it wasn't really didn't make sense to use like sort of like the sniper rifle or the assault rifle. Um, but I was happy with that. And apparently, I just checked the statistics um, from Last Attack Legend Edition. 40% of players play soldiers, um, and then followed up by 21% and Vanguard. So, second most common one I did. <laughs> um, gunplay, uh, sort of the combat itself, I felt the gunplay was probably the best out of the games because with Mass Effect 1, you don't, it doesn't work on an ammo system. It's actually working on a heat system, so you just shoot as much as you need, but then you sort of got to watch out. You don't overheat because if you overheat. Like, a- Covenant weapons and Halo. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, but like with that, with that, like it's you don't have actual ammo itself, but it's just like you just watch out. You don't, yeah, it's, yeah, like like that. Um, it's probably the most RPG I feel of the of the trilogy, and uh, just with the man, what what you can put your points into. Uh, you basically like d- depending on the class you have, uh, you're locked out of certain things. Like I did the um, I did the Vanguard, so um, I didn't have anything in sort of like any in, in engine like engineering points. As so if for me, um, like you can sort of like there's like a high level like locks that you can try and unlock. And the way it is is just like you if you have like uh, engineering, then your two squad mates if they have both engineering, you can unlock it. But because there were some locks basically all of them need to be the highest level and because i didn't have any um uh, that was um i wasn't even into it so sort of like a thing okay you choose your you choose this certain path you're not able to do these certain things um from this you got the you got the squad squad system the character i think garris was my favorite character of the of them out of them um sort of like a character oh yes by what i've heard you are not alone <laughs> no no, you've got you got an assortment sort of uh, crazy characters. Um, with Garrus, he's sort of a no nonsense, set the law into his own hands character. Uh, he was the one because you had two squad mates that you take with you through every mission. Uh, he went with me throughout um, every mission. Um, I feel like this is probably the most rounded of the characters um, compared to other games. Um, there's a certain catch you got um, when you start off initially. You got two human characters, um, Ashley and Caden, and I don't know. Probably spot. I don't know if you want, want spoilers in the game, um, uh, but basically, yes. Yeah, like Caden was the one I sort of sacrificed. Yeah, I, I do know. I did play enough of one to know that uh, one of them doesn't make it out. Yeah, no, that was come. That was Caden for me, so I kept Ashley. <laughs> um. Because actually, I th- actually I thought it was a more interesting character. Um, loved um, going around when you go around exploring planets because um, you actually go into planets and um, ever drive around sort of the Mako vehicle. Is did the mass did the legendary edition change the controls of the Mako at all? Because I did hear way back when Mass Effect One came out that the Mako was finicky, uh, to put it mildly. It was very, yeah, very finicky, but sort of it compensated itself because you can actually boost your vehicle and jump. 
So you get like high hills that you're trying to get up, like going onto, is trying to get up like a certain ledge. Like itself, it's sort of very floaty. And you're trying to drive around, it's not working, but it's sort of, you can make up for it. It's sort of like trying to like brute force, like boost into it or trying to jump through a, jump through a ledge. You can Skyrim horse it. That's it. You can, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they, and that didn't change. Like I, it actually, honestly, from this um, trilogy, I don't know what really they changed. Like I, I imagine like if on like, like on high MPC or the latest um, console system, probably like obviously high frame rate, but probably like better textures. I know they changed the lighting. I did see people complaining about that. Oh yeah, probably the lighting as well. I didn't really notice. I feel like the, the actual feel, like the control wise, like how the vehicle, like the gun handling and that. I didn't feel like they changed that. Um. So I feel I sort of like that's sort of like double edged, like sort of like um, yeah, you can sort of like um, like it should pro- maybe it should have been updated, but it, it was it was serviceable back then. It. I don't want to say. It was it was broken, so they maybe should have fixed it. But I don't know. I don't know what how far they wanted to get into it. I think there's also value in preserving things as they were, just to give an impression of sort of the context in which it was made. Like the the Uncharted trilogy collection that they put out on PS4. I I understand that they changed the controls for Uncharted One because those were notably less good than the ones for two. And and that's fine. Uh, that's just like accessibility, basically. But there are some aspects where it's like, I, I do like at least having the option of playing it as close to original as possible, because obviously you're not going to get the, the same experience if you're not playing it on original hardware and around the time that it was released. But I, I do like preserving as much of that as possible and just making it compatible with modern systems like this again yeah the mass effect like this was like xbox 360 so i mean it was sort of still on modern controls like there's no sort of it's not like like an instant like like metroid prime uh where it's just got that 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 out there control scheme um and that that when it did get remastered um it need uh, it, it Glad it's still got the original control scheme if you wanted to use that. Uh, but it did need that dual analog um, system. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Mass Effect 2. That one is the, unfortunately, it's the least favorite of the trilogy. I feel like this one le- le- felt lean more heavily in sort of like the Gears of War style play. play. You know, you got to... Um, Basically, you got infinite health. You just got to sit behind a wall and recharge and focus on, you know, it's trying to get behind a high, a chest high ledge. Uh, I got, got, I think, it dumbed down a bit on the sort of the un, the um, RPG elements. Um, this is the one they sort of in the, this one introduced introduced the ammo system. Not too bad because it actually uh, they most enemies will drop ammo, but I, I really prefer the original heat system from infinite ammo from the original one yeah it's just less resource management that you have to worry about exactly which admittedly like if you look at resource management and ammo systems and stuff like horror games 
uh, I was I was talking about Resident Evil Four recently with someone, and games like that use limited ammo as a very useful thing for tension. But I don't feel like Mass Effect Two is really the kind of game where that's necessary. No, no, you you do yeah yeah that Resident Evil Four perfect example. You know you, you need that atmosphere. It's a way to to control. You know like yeah Mass Effect Four like even the original Resident Evil games. Uh, you know, limited ammo resources, but that was part of the game, part of the atmosphere. But yeah, Mass Effect, Mass Effect games are not that. They're just basic shoot shoot 'em ups. Um, squad members, because uh, I feel like this one, like more more squad members. I feel like there were too many squad members. I think only, I think there was only one that originally came back from the original, um, Garrus. Like you'll have the other ones um, that you're able that show up in the game, but you're not able to put them in your squad. Uh, Garrus yeah. is the one, you, yeah. Garrus is the one you're able to get in the squad. He appears in all three games, and so he's my he's my favorite. Um, there were two of them. Like you didn't like the, the thing with the Mass Effect the squad members is that you should you, you introduce to them, then later on in the game you go ahead, you do a big mission with them, like sort of like they got a personal problem, you go, you help them out, and then you get. You basically you, you level up with them, um, like yeah, get the loyalty more, missions. Ex- yeah, loyal exactly loyalty mission. Um, there were two of them. They're just I think um, the two characters, yeah, Zaid and Kazumi, were useless. I felt like their their loyalty missions were just like basic. Um, there are other characters. There was a uh, Morden, the Solarian, the, uh, the the fast talking um, doctor. Uh, Thane, the 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 assassin Drell, you know the the, the cool Thane. Um, but I just felt like there was too many. There was, like it was about like over ten characters. Like I remember liking Jack's loyalty. Oh, Jack was Jack's was cool. I love Jack's. Jack. 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 Not Jack. Sorry. Yeah, Jack. Sorry. Yeah, Jack. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Jack. Yeah, yeah. She, she, yeah, she's one of my favorites as well. Um, but yeah, um, explore, exploring itself, like going through the galaxy, exploring planets, you don't actually, it's annoying you don't actually go on two planets anymore. You have to actually, um, you have to actually, you do, you do like a, um, uh, what is it? Like a, like a scanning system where you go and scan for resources. Um, where it's basically, you go into a planet, you're sort of trying to holding the left trigger, rotating around the planet and you got these four, um, Sort of mineral systems, you just got to try and work out, you know, which ones gets the highest number. It was just dull. I wanted to be able to go in and drive in the planet again, like in Mass Effect One. Um, but yeah, so I played through that. Uh, I didn't realize because this is the first time when they originally played it on the 360. I didn't get the DLC. Um, so actually, I didn't realize I was. I didn't realize at the time I actually played the DLC in the, this legendary edition. And there's a this character called the Shadow Broker from Mass Effect One. It's sort of like alluded to. Um, you actually get to fight them in Mass Effect Two, which is which is neat. I never actually did that. And then a big thing with uh, Mass Effect Two is that you've got the sort of the final um, suicide mission where you have to put certain as you're playing through the mission. You got certain characters you have to put in certain scenarios, and you have to make sure you got all your character, um, all your characters um, leveled up, like with the loyalty. And basically, 
when you do that, there's a better chance of them that they won't, um, if you put them in the right scenario at the time, they won't die in the mission. Um, I So I did it because when I originally did it on the 360, I lost two characters, um, Jacob and Legion. And so they didn't carry over when I played Mass Effect 3. Um, so I did the suicide mission and then towards the end, it turns out I didn't even save any, everyone. There was one character... Uh, Samara the Asari, she's got a her loyalty mission is a, annoying because it's a one you can it's not like you can fail and you just um like you can't do it again. And so like she'll be still with the system, but she's sort of like she's not the most loyal. And I thought I put her yeah, I put I thought I put her into a situation like sort of like the base what base characters is like, okay, they're just like like they're not like in a high end position in the suicide mission. I didn't think they would die, but they did. So they didn't carry over to number three. Um, this one, number three was sort of, yeah. yeah like I, I liked, I liked them a lot more than two, but one, one was my favorite. Um, they refined the combat from two. Um, so like you go around, like they still got the ammo system. Uh, but there's actually um, in the DLC there's a rifle that acts like the original game, which I was so happy about. So I ended up just maining the game through that. Um, uh, this one's got the least amount of characters at the this time. Um, there's a most of like there's no recurring characters you can put in your squad from number two. There's about three that you can do from number one. Um, and then there's one, um, there's one, but basically there's a ship AI that was introduced in number two and then they get their own robotic body in number three. So they become a, um, it's a weird, they become their own, um, squad member. Number That's three. That's cool. A <laughs> little bit odd. Um, a little bit initially, but yeah, it's, it is pretty cool. Um, still same, there's go through, yeah, still scan, same scanning system while exploring, but it doesn't, it's more basic now. You just go into a planet, just put a probe in, and you'll, you mine the resources. Um, when you're actually going ahead, because actually when you're scanning, you're scanning the outside in the galaxy rather than the planet. It's, you still scan this, the planets, but you also scan the galaxy you're in as well. And when you're do doing that, you got to watch that because the, the main enemy in the game, they can, also get, they can also detect it. And if it gets too high, they start coming at you um, when you're flying around the ship. And if you actually get captured, you know, it's obviously game over. Um, but it, you can manage it because it's sort of like you get, you, you go to the edge of the galaxy to get out and then they're not there anymore. And then you go back in and back into that galaxy and they, they're there again, but they come for their original position. So it's sort of like if you're trying to, to go through one planet and they come at you, you got to get out of the planet, get out of the galaxy, go back in and sort of race to that planet to try and get into that planet and then quickly get out. It, it it does give this give the system a little more interactivity like you by the sense that you're not looking for the highest numbers anymore like you were in mass effect 2 but it get it cuts out that decision for yeah. a different decision yeah exactly and then with that with that the highest number you're trying to get is sort of like a um because you're trying to um, recruit allies into sort of the final battle with the main enemy and so you have to go ahead, build alliances, try and settle disputes, 
Um, there's sort of like a number you, you keep climbing, climbing. I was able to get um, because it looked like a seven thousand points, so I was able to manage to get that. Um, and then yeah, infinitely with the uh, Mass Effect three, um, you know, you've got the three options initially that you can do. There's actually four options because I think with the three op- initial options, you can either um, you can either because the, the the way the game works is sort of like you got the enemy. It's sort of like um, they're sort of they're all encompassing enemies. No way to really defeat them. Uh, and so you got three options. You can either sort of destroy the enemy, which will also destroy all sort of AI and synthetic organisms. You can integrate yourself into the enemy, which basically like you leave you know so, like human like sort of like life life forms alone but you become the enemy yourself. And then you got one where sort of, when it's sort of a um, synthetics and organics become together. Um, and that's the one I chose. It's a very, the way Mass Effect does it, you either got the red option, the blue option, or the green option. Yeah, the uh, flippant complaint when Mass Effect 3 first came out was, uh, which color explosion would you like the game to end on? Exactly. I I don't know how like how true that actually is. I haven't played it, but Not, that was I, the joke going around at the time. But that 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 but that was it. It was effectively like it, you got you got the vague option what it was going to do. But once you go ahead and select an option, it was sort of like that was the color option. Your character goes into his, like the beam, and then there's a little cutscene where your teammates are getting out of the ship because it's crashed down, and then that was it. And then what happened was that they do then add on to that is like okay this is sort of the backstory about what happened to these things like sort of like a like like you know um, painting cutscenes. Um, and so that whole discussion you know oh should they have, should they have just left it alone because yes the initial decision didn't seem great but it was that it was what they wanted at the time they the people feeling like, oh they should they um. They shouldn't have, like, caved in. Should they have compromised their artistic vision because people on Twitter were very angry at them? Uh, and, like, I, I, I'm i sort of going back and forth on that. I thought about it at the time as well. Like, obviously, sometimes somebody's artistic vision just isn't very good. Uh, it happens, and it... It's great to have people not yelling at you anymore. Uh, big fan of that. But if if they were that confident, like it, it depends, right? Because again, I haven't played Mass Effect Three. If the kind of story that they wanted to tell with that game uh, made the endings make sense, then I then I'd probably be fine with them being that way. But that. But the way it sounded like to me was that the ending sort of felt like they invalidated most of the things you did over the course of the game. And in that case, I do believe that adding a different ending and changing things is the right play because Mass Effect was highly regarded as just a a fantastic narrative experience in video games and to have the beloved series cap off with a which button would you like the explosion which color would you like the explosion to be button felt 
anticlimactic, I guess. Exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're exactly, you're exactly, you're exactly right. Um, it was, it did. Like they put people saying, you know, they didn't have time to put it in, so they had to rush it out and get it in. Then when they did update it, you know, this is what they truly wanted. But it's sort of like it was like it didn't seem that way. It did sort of seem like this was sort of like tacked. It, it did seem like it when they did the update, it did seem like it was tacked on. Like like conforming to those criticisms that they had. Uh, but not like, you know, it didn't seem like it was originally cut. Originally, it wasn't flesh out. Flesh out. Were they? If they had more time, they would have fleshed it. Like this is what it would have been. It did seem like this was sort of done, and then this was sort of like put put on afterwards. Like new ending. Yeah, but um, yeah. So 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 trilogy. That's all done, and now I'm actually now playing Andromeda. I haven't actually ever played this one before. This is the first time I'm playing it um i didn't realize it was actually released in 2017 so i know it's like that's like six years old but i honestly thought it was like 2014 or 15 like like at the start of the previous console generation yeah andromeda wow yeah that was that long ago but i mean this one I also haven't played, uh, partially just because I heard it wasn't very good, and it kind of looks like it came out in 2014 as well, like visually. Yeah, I think it visually it's the um because I to, they updated the um the facial mod- models and the characters um but there's a little bit of jank to it, like the actual the visual style of the characters a little bit left to be decided they look a little bit <laughs> little bit creepy like they're sort of like um you know the, the female main character just like 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 always i don't know if you, there's that mean there's that um cat meme of the cat just was doing a weird smile and so like that's what she's yeah. always that's what she's always looking like like just got that mm, weird smile um, so yeah, this one you played as um, Ryder. That's that last name here. Yeah. Um, who becomes a, a Pathfinder, which is sort of like the basic plot of like the original Mass Effect. It was like there were the um, what was it? Spectre. That's yeah, what there it was. Spectre. Oh, thank God. Okay, yeah. So the Spectre. Um, yeah. So basically, the Pathfinder is the Spectre um, from the original games. Uh, you actually, the way it works is that you actually get with a male or female character, uh, what one, what, whoever you select, the other character will be your twin in the game. Um, but they're actually, when you say they're actually in a, in a, a sort of a cryo coma, so they don't actually, you don't actually get to interact with them much. Um, yeah, the, um, I will say the game probably had the biggest planet sizes, like, in the original Mass Effect, you sort of you went to a planet. It was like a desolate. There's only like a couple of buildings you went went into, and um, so I go in, do one mission, then get out. This one, you sort of like you got about five planets. You go in and tr- you basically try and colonize, 
And then that you're basically trying to get the planet habitable to go try and get up to 100%. So you're going ahead, doing missions within that planet because there's, there's other characters in there. Um, so it's factions and that. And he's trying to make him, making the atmosphere livable for life forms. Um, so trying to get that that in. So like it, it's a the planet size that they're much bigger, much more involved. Uh, all new cast. So this originally this is set six hundred years after Mass Effect Three, but it's a little bit cheap because there's actually the characters you play as is was chronologically frozen, and so like it's got they're going ahead trying to find new um, like livable plants to go in. So they're going to cryo sleep. So effectively, like it's taking place after. Mass Effect 3. But the player character is from the time of Mass Effect 3. They've just been cryogenically frozen, so they also don't know what's going on. That's a decent narrative device. Like, it allows... It it, it gives you a diegetic way of letting the player ask for information that the player character should actually know. They did it in what was it, Rage? That Bethesda game. Oh yes, right, yes. And Fallout does this a lot. Um, there's there's an all new cast with this. Um, there's a um, all new cast with this. Pete. There's a character. Uh, sorry, PB. Um, is my favorite. Unfortunately, though, the actual dialogue, because it does seem like it's well into like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so it's got that sort of dialogue. It's like, you know, well, that happened, and oh, there's something... You whoops, or there's something behind me, isn't there? Like, it tries to be more like that Marvel Cinematic comedic tone. Like, the original Mass Effect 3, like, there wasn't the greatest dialogue. It was more deadpan, but, you know, it it wasn't cringy. I would probably put yeah, it as your mileage may vary on how much you like that. Like there, there's and there's good ways and bad ways of doing it. Uh, I don't know. Did you watch the Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves at all? No, I haven't yet. Uh, it's got a little bit of that, but I I I feel. I mean, I'm biased because I uh, play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and also other tabletop RPGs. Don't don't at me. Uh, is that is the kind of tone that a lot of tabletop games sort of develop into, whether you want them or not. Okay. But uh, so I I feel like it worked there, but Mass Effect as a series feels a little more serious than that kind of dialogue is really suited for. Uh, I I think their main inspiration sounds like it was probably specifically Firefly in that case, because you've got science fiction ah okay joss whedon also you know joss whedon was firefly joss whedon was also the avengers uh so he really pioneered that writing style for better or worse uh maybe not pioneered but popularized yeah i haven't actually seen firefly but from the from what i've heard with firefly and definitely with the avenger the first avenger movie yeah it it does seem like a joss whedon-esque sort of dialogue like if the original Mass Effect, yeah, it's all deadpan, but they did have some funny moments because it was funny because most of the time it was deadpan, it was serious. Whereas this one's just trying to be casual and yet, yeah, as you said, yeah, Josh Whedon esque. So just a little bit, little bit annoying. Um, 
combat itself, um, I'm a bit by I, because I played the original Mass Effect games. I did actually prefer this over the originals because, like this one, you have the ability to jump and dash. So whereas the other one is sort of like played more like um like Gears of War, like running around everywhere trying to get a chest high walls. Like you're still you getting can fault a- over walls, but you can't jump by yourself. Exactly. But this one, you can sort of like get up, jump up onto ledges. Uh, and uh, quite a few of the bits of the game you actually need to actually require to actually get up and like scan a thing to actually um, to, to proceed in the game. So um, it's like being able to dash around, just trying to be able to avoid the enemy. Uh, I just feel, I feel like it's a better combat system. Like I know people probably say, you know, oh, they prefer the original originals. Um, but I, I sort of, like playing this now, I'm sort of like, I prefer this. Um, very heavy on the collecting sort of the minerals, tech parts, plant life sort of aspects where you got like a research and development system. Um, I haven't really gotten really into that because um, there's like in original games, you sort of like you could you go ahead and try and either buy armor or weapons or find them on the um, enemies, down enemies or crates. Um, this one, it sort of does that, but not as much. You sort of have to go ahead and try and craft your own Tractor system, and it's I I haven't really get got into it. Uh, I've only done two. Um, I've only really done two weapons. Uh, again, infinite ammo, heat, sort of respawn on that. So I'm better with that. Um, I've only put about forty hours into the game. Um, it's not clear where I'm at because I've done I've done all the planets uh, at hundred percent livability. But the galaxy map one going around saying I've got about 62% um, completed. So I'm not too sure where I'm actually at the game. So this will be one I'll definitely be like next month. Like, well, next month, yeah, I'll be once it gets up to Tears of King, I'll be in there. But I'll try and get this done before then. But yeah, I'll be getting into this one. So yeah, um, yeah, that's sort of my experience with um, Mass Effect. Cool. Very interesting. Because like like I said, Mass Effect is is sort of a blind spot for me. And getting the opportunity with the Legendary Edition to experience it now uh, is very interesting to see, like, what gaming was like. Like, what... God, Mass Effect 1 was, like, 2008, right? Oh. God, that was so long ago. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow, Mass Effect. Oh, right. Mass Effect 3 came out when I was in high school. Oh, that's wow. wild. Wow. Yeah. Oh, uh, no. I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was in the workforce then. Well, that stage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, getting to experience that and getting to getting to experience them outside of the discourse TM. Uh and getting to experience them sort of at your own pace and less compromised by other people's extremely aggressive opinions on them, I think must be kind of refreshing. Yes, yes. I, as I say, with the uh, with the legendary edition, yes, they put the updated lighting, the frame rate, the um, the textures, and that. But the actual gameplay itself, it's still what it was originally. They haven't really change that so it's very interesting going back to that seeing how it was back then 
It's not a it's not a remake. Uh, speaking of games that also came out a while ago, uh, I've been playing Pokemon X recently. How's that yeah, going? Uh, How's that going for you? When the uh, Nintendo 3DS eShop was going to close down, I bought a whole bunch of games. Uh, Pokemon X being one of them. Uh, Pokemon X is a game I've played before, but it was on a different 3DS. Uh, fun fact, I have two 3DSs for two different regions, uh, which meant that I couldn't play the games on my other 3DS. So a bunch of the games I bought off the eShop were games that I have like the physical carts for, but on a 3DS of a different like region, so I can't use them. And going back and playing Pokemon X, especially compared to later entries, has been really interesting because there's some aspects of it that are... I-, I think the game still broadly holds up pretty well. I love the region in Pokemon X. Uh, I I love the way it looks. I love the vibrancy of the nature. It's based on France. Uh, and I love the vibrancy of the nature. I love the architecture. You know, I am European. It's familiar. I like things I recognize, you know. Uh, and I will say there are some aspects of it that are less nice. Uh, one aspect that they included in Scarlet and Violet is the ability to... Actually, I think they started with uh, Legends Arceus. Is the ability to reteach your Pokemon moves literally anytime you want. In X, you still have to go to a specific person, the move reminder. Uh, and that can be kind of annoying when your Pokemon levels up and it's trying to learn a new move. You also don't get to look at your Pokemon stats before you make the decision. So if you don't know, like, okay, is this Pokemon better at physical attacks or special attacks? Then sometimes you're like, Oh yeah, cool. This Pokemon can learn Shadow Ball, but it has just its f- special attack is in the toilet, and you'd be better, much better off with like Shadow Sneak or other physical Ghost type moves that are not immediately springing to mind. Uh, but it's it's been great rediscovering how much I love Pokemon X. Even to this day, it's still among my favorites because. We spent a lot of time with the DS, and especially the later DS games really started to grind my gears a little bit. I know Black and White, and especially Black and White 2, are very beloved, mostly because they have really good stories, and I agree with that. I just don't like the way they look. The combination of 2D sprites on 3D environments, I think, looks hideous. I did not finish White 2 or Black 2? I think I had Black 2. Because I just didn't like the way it looked. And so when the 3DS came out and X and Y came out, everything was in 3D. The environments were gorgeous. Uh, new animations for all the Pokemon. And, oh, it was, it was a breath of fresh air. 
Uh, I don't really have that much to say about Pokemon X. Like, it's a Pokemon game. You know how those go. Uh, it is kind of funny to see uh, the new, ori- the, like, unique mechanics to this entry that didn't make their way into the next one. Um, and some that did. Uh, because in X and Y, you have certain places where you can ride on top of Pokemon. There's, like, rocky areas where you have to ride on top of a Rhydon because it's too unstable for your normal feet. And then that got expanded further in Sun and Moon, where instead of using HMs that you have to teach your Pokemon specific moves for traversal, you just ride on top of other Pokemon. And that's how it's been ever since. Even Scarlet and Violet, you're riding on top of one of the two legendary lizards, and uh, that's how you do traversal. That's how you can basically sprint, you can climb walls, you can glide. Uh, and X and Y, I think, sort of laid the groundwork for that. Uh, it was also the first Pokemon game, or at least the ha- first handheld one, where you could move diagonally. Uh, <laughs> yes. Which was... A really, really big innovation at the time, and good lord, saying that, like, I'm not even that old, but that makes me feel old, you know? Like, I'm in my 20s, for God's sake. Not much longer. Uh, uh, <laughs> I did turn 29 recently. Ah, nice. Because my um first Pokemon game was Pokemon Yellow. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I was in high school when that came out. Um, so I haven't really been too much. I haven't really been into the, honestly, haven't been into the Pokemon series. The first one was, um, yeah, Yellow. And then the f- next one I sort of went ahead and played and completed was Pokemon Y. I didn't wow. Play, yeah, because I didn't play any of the silver, the gold and silver. I didn't play any of the Game Boy Advance or the DS games. Excuse me. Um, yeah, it was um, it was the 3DS. But saying that, the 3DS games, I because I did Pokemon Y, then I think I did the I don't know what the next lot was with the red and blue ones, but I did the red one of that, and then I and then I did Pokemon Moon. Uh, Moon was the blue one of the next one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did. I didn't. I don't think I did the Ultra Moon and Ultra Sun. I didn't finish those either. They were mostly just the same. Like the story was different, but like it was the same island with more or less the same Pokemon. And I wouldn't mind playing that like in the future. But I just finished Sun. You know, I'm not gonna play it again. Exactly. Exactly. And then the next game were the pokemon let's go pikachu and then i think pokemon sorry pokemon shield sword and shield yeah sword. no no it's yes actually actually sword was the one because normally when i because when i did the poke like the sort of like the 3ds and the the 3ds games i had a i had a friend who was really into pokemon and what I thought, okay, I'm going to get in Pokemon games again. They would get sort of like, you know, you, you, you as you said, you, you play Pokemon X, I would get Pokemon Y. So we would yeah, go so ahead. so you can trade with each other and complete the Pokedex. Exactly. I would get the lead that 
I know there's pre, oops, sorry, I know they're pretty much the same, but it's like I would get the sort of like the less popular one. Oh, I had to do that all the time. Uh when I was in high school and uh oh, what are they called? Soul Silver and Heart Gold came out. Oh yeah. Uh literally everybody I knew wanted Soul Silver because Lugia is cooler than Ho Oh, okay. Uh, and I was like, well, somebody's got to get hard gold, I guess. <laughs> uh, and it was me. Yep. You were the favorite of the group. Everyone would come to you um, looking to trade. But yeah, uh, X just... So did you, you, you did play Sword and Shield then as well? Yes, I did. Uh, I think I think uh, yeah. Sword was the first one. I actually, did the popular one because I think like Shield was the less popular. I could be wrong. Yeah, the 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 legendary in Sword was visually more interesting than the one in Shield. I played Shield, but um, this time I didn't actually do the latest Pokemon game. Yeah, Scarlet and Violet. Hmm. They're really, really good when they work, which they don't always work. Uh, yeah, it's they're really fun games. I just wish they finished making them before they released them. You know? Yes, I, I, I hear I wasn't the um the most optimized. No, and I did see something along the, the lines of explaining why that is, and apparently I, I'm scraping memories from a while back that I didn't read super closely into but because because the 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 reason primarily the frame rate is so bad is because the actual physical size of the game world and like the skybox around it is so large that the switch has trouble uh running it all at the same time uh, because it is an open world game like you can go anywhere you want almost anywhere you want there are very few loading screens it's all one big world and so running all of that at the same time is something the switch apparently really struggles with but th there's also other just optimization problems like if we go back to uh like monster hunter rise that game looks incredible like the Switch is not the most powerful console, but it, it, it can hold its own, you know? And it's on the RE engine, and the fact that it can look that good with that many, like, particle effects and polygons and keep that consistent of a frame rate when Game Freak can't pull off, like, Scarlet and Violet, A, is a sign that Game Freak just needs more time and less overworked people. Uh... Because they, they make a new Pokemon game every two years. That's not enough time to make something that as ambitious as Scarlet and Violet. It just isn't. Uh, like, Call of Duty gets away with year, yearly releases because they have, what, three separate teams working? Uh, admittedly, my knowledge of that goes from a while ago, but last I checked, they had, like, Infinity Ward, Treyarch, and sledgehammer that's probably changed now like i this is around the time that like black ops 3 came out uh like that was a while ago we've had a bunch of call of duty games since then i remember 
I remember originally it was in, when it, after Call of Duty 4, it was Infinity War, then Treyarch, and it would switch between those two. Um, I, I had had in my head like Raven was the third third one, but I think that Raven were the our DLC. Yeah, I did have the name Raven in my head as well, but I think you're correct. But yeah, uh, Pokemon X, it's it, there is a little bit of nostalgia for me uh, there because it came out in what 2013, uh, and it was like I said after the not very good looking black and white and black and white two, everything being in 3D. And having like character customization options, uh, the ability to buy outfits and stuff, that was, it made me feel a lot more personally invested in a Pokemon game than I had in a long time. And going back and playing it, it like I said, it has some rough spots uh, that have been ironed out. Uh, and I also feel like it's a lot slower than Pokemon games are nowadays. Like, Scarlet and Violet and Sword and Shield are very, very easy. Uh, I know me, big man, almost 30, complaining that a game that is ostensibly made for children is easy. Uh, but um, Pokemon X, I think, X and Y have the, the longest time between gym badges of, like, any Pokemon game. Like, between getting your first badge and your second badge... There's a lot that happens. And so I had already played like 20 hours of Pokemon X before I got my second gym badge. Uh, it it did it does have the EXP share that affects your whole party. I think it's the first Pokemon game that did that. Um But yeah, it it is a lot slower, and that that's fine by me, because to be honest, like it's a game I've played before, so I'm not paying that close attention to it. Like, it's something that I'm primarily playing while while I'm like on in a train, or uh, I've I'm sort of multitasking. Like, I'm actually watching something on TV, but I'm just sort of grinding levels in Pokemon to keep my hands occupied. Exactly. Exactly. It's a good. It's a good. It's a good game for that. Yeah, turn based combat really good for that. Uh, but yeah, it's like I said, other than that, I don't really have a lot to say about it. It's a game I, I really, really love, uh, primarily just because of the setting and the environments and I'm really enjoying coming back to it. It's been a lot of fun. I, uh, hope that the DLCs for Scarlet and Violet are good. I think the first one's coming out in like October. I'll, uh, definitely be picking those up. Because the story of Scarlet and Violet is really, really interesting. It's just that the game is a little broken. Sorry, it's just that the game is a lot broken. <laughs> yes. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I'm sort of... like So there hasn't been any sort of like major update patches that sort of like fix most of them? It's still that broken? Uh, they've They've addressed like bugs... Because, yep, there were bugs at launch. Like, you could get, like, stuck in environments and fall through the world and stuff. All of those have been fixed. And they've managed to improve the performance a little bit by making the 
spawns of Pokemon that appear in the overworld a little less dense. Just like fewer Pokemon appear in groups, so there's fewer models on screen at, at one time. But in order to have, like, a, by my understanding, in order to have a completely smooth frame rate, they would have to, like, drastically rebuild the way they designed the world environment. And they just don't have time or money to do that, basically. So, uh, yeah. I, I would recommend Scarlet and Violet. They are a lot of fun. The story's really good for a Pokemon game. And the open world aspect is, is I think, well handled. It's just... Okay, Nintendo, I know. You don't develop them. You do that. You, you publish them and you tell Game Freak to make them. Just give them an extra year. Please, just... Let them sleep more often. Give them an extra year to work on it. Make it really, really good. Please, I beg you. I love Pokemon. I have since I was a child. And it's like Pokemon is the one franchise where I will purposefully go out of my way to not look up anything about the game. Like, I will set up filters on social medias to see as little about it as possible. Because I want to recapture that sort of like the childhood feeling, the childlike feeling of discovery. Of, oh, I've never seen this Pokemon before. I wonder what type it is. You know, experimenting like that and just exploration and discovery and experiencing all of it with fresh eyes. And because I didn't really know anything about Scarlet and Violet going in, the uh, terrible performance was... Oh, no. Yeah. Disheartening. Oh. Uh, <laughs> like, I, the, like, most of what I had seen is I knew that the setting was vaguely inspired by Spain, and I'd seen the three starters, and I knew that there was, like, a school element involved, but that's it. Like, I fired up Pokemon Scarlet... When when I got it, and I was like, oh, oh, no, what did they do? Oh, or rather, no. what did they not do? What happened? <laughs> this is not getting the Nintendo seal of quality. Remember that? Yep. Is that still a thing? Does that still exist? Yeah, it's more of a, I think it's more of a marketing term. Like, back then? It was still a marketing term, but like you did have, you did have, you know, especially Nintendo games, you did have quality games. But over the years, like you see the glut, the glut of the eShop now about what's on there, and sort of like, okay, it's just been sanctioned, officially like it's sanctioned by Nintendo. Yeah, there was an eShop sale a while, like sometime at the end of last year, where I just like sort of scrolled through the the web page version of it. And just looked at all the games that were on the eShop and oh, well, I mean, there's more things for adults on Nintendo systems now. Hmm. Uh, certain games that you might be able to play with only one hand. <laughs> so you know, get 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 those dollars. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Ooh. yeah, they are more. Who was it uh, that ride the night sky? That that game with the witches, where you're riding on 
vacuum cleaners, but your character still has a broom. It's just strapped to her back. Okay. Is was at the time like it 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 saw some some decent attention on like YouTube Let's Players because it was at the time the lowest rated game on the Nintendo eShop. Oh. Uh, on the Switch eShop, at least. Now we're la- yeah, long. They're, they're not all winners nowadays. No. No, it's sort of I could I could imagine like properly going through the eShop and trying to look through the sales and see what's actually good. Like you knew, you had to know beforehand what you're expecting. Like you have to a no a no no one name brand. Oh yeah, you you will stare into the void if you look through the Nintendo eShop for too long. And then the void will stare back at you and you will be irrevocably changed. All right, well, so that's the um, the end of the podcast here. Uh, there's an um, unfocused one. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, thank you, Hilka, for um, joining me um, with, with this. It's great, great to have a chat with you. Uh, thank you for having me. It was great to be here. No, likewise. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll be doing these much more in the future. All right, so um, goodbye, everyone, and we'll um, catch up with you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Podular Unfocused Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our other show, and Focus. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at Game Podular for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. The links for both are on our website. Thanks. This episode was edited by me, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheScottyJman. You can also follow Hilka on Twitter at Gear12 underscore Turbo. Thanks for listening. Thank you.